21st chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses of that chapter. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks Say, if anyone asks you what you're doing, say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Richard Wiseman wrote a book in 2000 and 2007 or 2008, I forget which one, and the title of the book is Quirkology. Quirkology. How we discover big truths in small things. His thesis is basically that you and I as adults are quirky, that we just do things that are absolutely strange, but the strange things we do reveal deeper truths in our lives. He, for instance, in his first study as a psychologist, he uh, stationed himself in London's King Cross Railroad Station, and he observed couples reuniting after a period of separation. And he would find a couple that had just you know, wonderfully embraced and held each other and, and done the things that couples do who are seeing each other after a while. And he would go up to them and he would say, excuse me, do you mind taking part in a psychology experiment? And they would affirm that they did. And then he would ask them, how many seconds have passed since I said the words, excuse me? After 50 such couples being asked this question, Wiseman wrote that he discovered that couples underestimate the passing of time when they're in love. Or as Albert Einstein once said, sit with a beautiful woman for an hour and it seems like five minutes. Sit on a hot stove for five minutes and it seems like an hour. And that is the thesis of rel relativity right there. So Wiseman goes on in this book and he, he measured uh, horn honking, honking at cars. You know, I've, I've used my horn once in Ruston, Louisiana. Forgive me, I have sinned. Two cars just, I don't know what they were doing. They were sitting there. And in the name of Jesus, I honked at him to wake him up. 
Well, Weissman's study revealed that, that number one is usually delayed, but number two, three, and four come in rapid succession and say a lot about people who just follow along with the crowd. He, he examined why a disproportionate number of marine biologists are named Dr. Fish. He secretly analyzed the personality types of those who used to get in the grocery store line that said 10 items or less, and they would have 15 items. He would interview them and check out their motivation and try to figure out why they were doing what they were doing. He noted and discovered and correlated suicide rates in countries that higher, had a higher proportion of radio stations playing country music, and he provided doubt beyond, he provided evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that Friday the 13th is bad for your health. Quirks. They can be examined, they can be studied. Quirks often involve symbolism as well. You've heard quirky behavior coming from your kitchen, I'm sure. If you've told somebody in there something that he or she didn't like, you have never heard as much noise coming from that kitchen. I didn't know you could make so much noise taking plates and dishes out of a cabinet. Wham! Wham, quirky behavior and symbolic action, and you better pay attention to the symbolic action. Door slamming, symbolic action. A sigh, symbolic action. Guys sigh for different reasons. Guys sigh when we're satisfied. <sighs> like that, usually uh -huh, something like that. Females sigh when they are frustrated. <sighs> Guys, I just told you a secret. Okay, learn from me. I can show you the scars from not picking up on that nonverbal form of communication. So we have in the 21st chapter of Matthew a lot of quirks going on, and we also have symbolic action going on at the same time with the quirks. So hang with me. We're going to look at a few of the quirks. The first quirk pops in there when Jesus tells two disciples, go get the donkey. Now, we're not told who they are, but I want to surmise for a minute. I want to guess with you who they are. And I base that guess on what happens in the 20th chapter of Matthew when the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. Mama comes and kneels before Jesus and asks a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, declare that these two sons of mine, my little boys, my sweet, precious little boys, declare that my two sons will sit at your right hand and sit at your left in the kingdom. And Jesus said, it's not mine to give. They won't be drinking of the cup that I'm drinking of. And I can see Jesus telling James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who got mama to ask them a question. Okay, boys, go into town and get me a donkey. Do you see it? They're asking for the kingdom. They want to be right-hand man, left-hand man. And Jesus said, go get the donkey. 
That's how discipleship works. That's how being a Jesus follower works. We want glory. We want glory and everything working out, and we want to be happy all the time. And Jesus said, it's not like that. There's struggle and there's heartache and there's tough times. Jesus, who did not think equality with God was something that should be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took on human form. He took on the form of a slave. And he became obedient, Paul tells us, even to the point of death. Jesus up here reaches down and becomes a human being up here. Discipleship has a downward trajectory. We're always moving toward humility. We're always moving toward being a servant. We are always moving in that obedient, humble direction. Mama wants them to be higher ups. Jesus wants them to go get the donkey. Learn the lesson. It's quirky, but learn the lesson. Second thing that's going on is the crowds. You just cannot trust a crowd. Jesus had his posse. Do we call it a posse anymore? What do we call it? Jesus had his tribe. Jesus had his hanger owners. Jesus had his groupies. Jesus had all these people following him. And we know he had all these people following him because the Gospel of John says at one point, so many of them left, he turned and asked the disciples, are you leaving too? So Jesus has hanger-ons. He has people he's healed. He has folks that he's his teaching and preaching have touched their lives. They go into Jerusalem. We've got the crowds on the sides of the street watching this. And unfortunately, we in the state of Louisiana cannot deal with this passage of Scripture without thinking about Mardi Gras. That's not how this was. They didn't line up and throw me something, mister. They're all kind of marching into Jerusalem, and people are going, what in the world is going on? But these crowds are fickle. They're quirky. Poor Jerusalem. In the popular interpretation, the city is the definition of populism at its most dangerous. They move from, from being enthusiastic and welcoming him as a Messiah and a prophet to bloodthirsty revenge, and it just takes them five days. They've displayed almost the schizophrenic relationship with Jesus, loving, then violent, manically adoring him, then angrily rejecting him. Because crowds are fickle. It's hard to satisfy the crowd. It's hard to give them what they perceive they want. And all of Jerusalem's going, who is this? All of Jerusalem had been previously upset by Jesus. It's in the birth narratives where the wise men come, seeking he who's been born king of the Jews. And King Herod heard this. He was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. So Jerusalem's gone from being afraid to being curious. And right now they are just singing Jesus's praise. They are Hosanna. They are throwing out their cloaks and their palm fronds. They are creating the red carpet for Jesus to come in to the city. 
And as good Jews, they know his symbolic action, although it is quirky coming in on the donkey, they understand he is proclaiming he's the king. A Roman emperor would come in on a white stallion, a humble Jewish rabbi on a donkey. It's an act of sedition, they think. And the crowds are going, he's going to fight the Romans. And that's part of the reason they turn. It becomes obvious he's not. But it's not really about the crowds. It's about the Christ. Palm Sunday. So what you do with these palm fronds theologically and practically is you take them home. You keep them in a place you can see them because they remind you to pray. They remind you of the sacrifice of Christ. They remind you of this day. And then next spring on Transfiguration Sunday, we'll ask you to bring your palm fronds back and they'll be all brown and dried up. And what we do is we take them and the confirmation class is part of their confirmation process. They burn them and these become the ashes for Ash Wednesday. The story hangs together. What a story it is. You know, we didn't have a palm processional this year. Palm processionals have always been dangerous in church life because you get the kids lined up from the youngest to the oldest. And what happens is the one in the back start hitting the ones in front of them. And then the ones in front of them don't like that and they will turn back and they will retaliate against the ones that are hitting them. And suddenly your palm processional is ground to a halt. And I know that from watching it for years and years and years. In Lake Charles, we too had a donkey in the sanctuary. The Lake Charles sanctuary slopes down toward the stage as our sanctuary does. The thing about Lake Charles is the floors are slate. And donkeys don't do very well on slate floors. And we had planned this palm processional with the donkey for six months. And we were having all these conversations about, you're going to bring that donkey in and that donkey's going to do something on the slate floor. And so we had to have a meeting about purging the donkey. And yes, that's what you do. You purge a donkey before you bring the donkey in God's house. And then after we solved the whole purging thing, somebody brought, well, that donkey's not going to be able to walk on that slate floor because that, that slate floor is slick and the donkey will just be all spread out like this and we'll have to push the, dog down, the donkey down the center aisle and that will take, um, you know, the mood and kill it. And we decided what we're going to do with the donkey is we're going to put the donkey in tennis shoes. And we had a whole meeting about tennis shoes. And we discovered that wouldn't work, but they do make shoes for horses and donkeys to walk on floors like that. They actually make a tennis shoe, horseshoe. And so we finally resolved what the donkey would have on the donkey's feet so the donkey can come in church. And as we were leaving that meeting, in a moment of frustration, I heard one of our church members say, we don't need a donkey, we've already got an ass in the pulpit, why do we want another one? And I felt affirmed in that. I could, I could relate. 
So the Sunday arrived. We have the children doing the Palm Processional, Hosanna, or Glory, Loud and Honor. That's the hymn that you're supposed to sing for the Palm Processional. And we had a little uh, head tapping going on. And behind the children, we had the, uh, the apostles. So we had the guys in the church. They were all dressed up. They'd grown beards all lent, and they were all scraggly and beardy looking and in costumes, and they came in. And then we had Mike Mayo. Mike Mayo was a car mechanic, still is a car mechanic, the best you can find. Mike has a beard. Mike has Jesus-length hair. As a matter of fact, Mike, without makeup, looks like Jesus. And that's his nickname, our Lord and Savior, Mike Mayo. Mike was Jesus, and Mike was coming in with the donkey. All glory, loud, and honor. Choir singing, congregation singing, kids waving palm fronds, hitting each other, people looking at the disciples going, oh, it's the disciples. Saw Mike Mayo, ah, it's Mike Mayo. Look, he looks like Jesus. Completely missed the donkey. Nobody saw the donkey. To this day, there are people in that church that don't believe we had a donkey in the worship service because they didn't see it and they were in the worship service. Flip it. We see the procession. I got asked today, when are we bringing the donkey back to the traditional worship service? We see the processional, we see the donkey, we don't see Jesus. We don't see the one that is coming into Jerusalem to give his life as a sacrifice for all of us. So the crowd says, who is this? And Jesus has already asked the question. He asked it in Caesarea Philippi. Well, who do you say I am? One more quirk about this. Palm Sunday, Holy Week, is all about getting us ready for Easter. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and they were asking about the Tenebrae service, and they they'd attended hours before, and it's... Um, if you haven't been to that service, it's Friday at 7 o'clock in the sanctuary. The service just can, moves toward darkness where the service actually ends just the opposite of Christmas Eve. With all the candles on Christmas Eve, the service ends in absolute darkness. And it is a dark service where we think about the death of Jesus we think about his suffering. We think about his friends abandoning him. We, th we think about his loneliness and his agony on the cross. And my friend said, I don't know that I can go to that service. Because I don't know that I can be over it to be ready for Easter. And I thought, they get it. They absolutely get that service. It is supposed to draw you into that dark place. 
It is supposed to call you to deal with your sinfulness. It is supposed to call you to deal with the brokenness and the heartache and the pain in your own life. And if it's done well, that lingers. You then become like those first disciples going to the tomb who expected to find a dead body, who were going there not to celebrate Easter, they were going there to anoint him for death. They were continuing the work they couldn't get done on Passover. I'm thinking that Easter becomes more real when we go toward it with scales on our eyes, when we're, we're there in our pain, when we're there in our darkness, when we're there in the great not knowing, it's then that we experience the explosive joy that is Easter. Jesus is about to have a hard week. His friends will abandon him Official Judaism will betray him. The Romans will crucify him. But before his death, he gathers with his friends and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. By giving his life for us, he allowed us to have the gift of resurrection and eternal life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords has invited you to this quirky thing, the sacrament called Holy Communion, to take the bread, dipping it in the cup, and remembering that Christ lived for you, he died for you, and he rose again for you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.